0: Welcome to episode 5 of the Lee Eevee Korean Drama Show. Uh, Today I'm going to be talking about the drama Kingdom. So I'm going to be talking about season 1 because it is 2019 and that is all that's come out. Uh, I have heard that season 2 is due for release in 2020 and I'll let you know that I really, really enjoyed this show. So I'm very much looking forward to season 2. Uh, also, just because, you know, I watch a lot of SAGUK dramas, so, you know, this kind of short episode format is a little bit more unusual. I'm used to shows that last at least 20 episodes when they're historical dramas. So, I mean, it still feels like a full arc this season, but uh, I'm definitely looking at digging a bit deeper and getting more out of this show. So I had to just look it up, but there was actually only six episodes in this first season, Um, And that, of course, is because this was a collaboration with Netflix. So I think this was sort of a milestone and something pretty exciting for Korean dramas, being the very first ever K-drama that was, you know, I guess, financed and made by Netflix in collaboration with, you know, obviously studios or whatever, however it works in Korea. Um, And that also means that, of course, the drama was pre-produced. Uh, so it was filmed in full before it aired. Um, and obviously Netflix poured a lot of money into this show. And I think when you're watching Kingdom, you can really, really tell. I mean, it looks really, really beautiful. I think the sets look great. Everything, I think it just looks really, really great. Um, I think this is going to sound like really strange. <laughs> but um, actually, I re- one thing I really like, about watching this was kind of how gritty and dirty stuff looked, uh, when you're talking about the sets and, you know, the villages that the characters visit and, you know, the town streets and everything. Um, and I think that's because a lot of Joseon's set dramas that I watch, um, you know, particularly if they're more like youth, um, or fusion sagoks and romances, um, they do have a slightly cleaner look. Like you'll get, you know, commoners on the streets, and obviously the actors wearing wigs, and the wigs will be quite, you know, clean looking, and the streets will look quite idyllic and nice. And it was one thing I really appreciated about this show was how, like, they really made things look pretty dirty, and you know, I mean, that's a little bit more accurate for, you know, Josephine times or anywhere you know, hundreds of years ago around the whole world, you know, the, the world wasn't really that nice back then. And I think as a writer, um, you know, I love to sort of have that window to kind of, I think it sparks my imagination, you know, which sounds really weird to say, oh, I liked it because it was really dirty. But yeah, you know, I think I did. It just really gets your imagination going. And it's just a slightly more accurate look for a show. So for instance, you know, the peasants in this look, you know, they look like they're hungry, they look really dirty, they look like they're living in really awful conditions. And it did feel a little bit more accurate to the time, I think. So I really liked that. Um, And like I was saying, I felt like the drama, like it looks really good. I think a lot of that probably has to do with the whole pre-produced thing Um, and I think it's really interesting. Uh, It took me a while after I started watching K-dramas to sort of figure out um, that they have this kind of live shooting schedule which is you know I guess if you're not from um, you, know, if, you know, if your entertainment industry doesn't operate that way, it seems crazy um, because obviously they're filming things sometimes that have to air the next week. So I think because of this, like, you know, super tight schedule, uh, you know, which just leads to so much high stress and dangerous conditions and stuff like that, Um. You know, it also probably means that sometimes the quality of dramas, um, because they're squeezed so tight with their schedules, they don't they're not as good as maybe they could have been if, say, editors and stuff had been given more time. So when you're watching something like Kingdom, which has been completely filmed long before it ever aired, you can really tell that the editors have, you know, they're framing each shot like it is a beautiful photograph, like things look good um and sometimes you know with uh shows that are sort of being filmed a week before they air you know I think it's more functional editing um which I totally get like that it makes sense um I think it's kind of an interesting sort of way I guess the Korean drama industry does it and I think as a viewer um for myself it's excellent like (laughs) I think for all of us fans It's really cool because you hear about the casting of a drama and then it's like two minutes later, you're seeing all the cast sit down and do a script reading. And then about a week after that, you're literally watching the drama on TV. Like it is so fast. And I think in this sort of world that we live in now where everyone wants instant gratification, like it is excellent. The second you even hear about a cool show, basically the next week you can watch it. But of course, with pre-produced dramas, that is just not the case at all my understanding is that one of the reasons that pre-produced dramas are now becoming a lot more popular, or, you know, we've seen a a huge rise in pre-produced dramas over the last few years, and and not only, I think, because of, you know, it suits the whole Netflix model and everyone's into binge-watching stuff now, but apparently it also has a bit to do with new censorship laws that came in in China. And China is, um, you know, a huge consumer of K-dramas from what I understand and what I've read online. Um, And China actually changed uh, their censorship laws so that anything that was going to air on TV in China had to get fully viewed by like a censorship panel before it could go to TV. Um, And be aired and obviously this caused a lot of problems with all of the K-dramas that were sort of uh, Getting filmed as they aired because they weren't getting um, Shown on TV in China anymore or you know, Chinese people weren't kind of able to access them anymore So I think that impacted the Korean sort of filming industry in a really major way and I think um, I'm not sure if those laws are still in place or if things have changed now. I think that was a little while ago um, but I do think it sort of yeah, changed the industry and, and we're seeing so many more pre-produced dramas now, particularly, you know, the really massive ones with the big name writers and the big cast and you know, the ones that a lot of money is going into, uh, the kind of ones that, you know, I guess they want to see, they want to get as many viewers as possible across as many countries as possible. And pre-producing them probably means that they have access to, you know, an audience in China, or at least that's as far as I know. One of my favorite things about this show, I think, was the atmosphere. Um, You know, I already talked about kind of the squalor and the grit of it, which I also really liked, weirdly enough, I know. Um, But yeah, I really liked those aspects. And I think for me, the atmosphere definitely kind of leans towards horror, which makes sense. You know, obviously, this is a zombie drama. If you did not know, it is about zombies. So horror really, really suits it. Um, talking about the dramas, I mean, there's a lot of different characters in this show. There's a kind of a political plot going on at the same time as a zombie apocalypse, basically. Um, but the zombies themselves, I found really, really interesting and exciting. Um, I'm a bit of a zombie fan. I've seen a lot of zombie movies. I've watched a lot of zombie shows. Um, I used to be a big fan of The Walking Dead, the American TV series until, you know, it all went to shit, which it did after <laughs> about five seasons. Um, so I checked out a little while ago. Um, but I, I mean, I feel like I've seen so many different types of zombies and so many different types of, um, you know, media. And it was really, really exciting to pick up a new show and actually be faced with like a different type of zombie that I haven't really come across before. Um, so I thought that was a pretty amazing achievement for a show in this day and age where, you know, zombies have sort of been done to death. So I think for one, the fact that there's zombies in Joseon is obviously fresh. Um, that was a different sort of take for me. I hadn't seen it before. I know there is another Korean movie that stars Hyun Bin. Uh, I'm not sure when that one came out. I'm, I'm, Thinking maybe it's called Rampant, uh, but I could be, could be mistaken. I can't quite remember. Uh, when I watched Kingdom, I hadn't seen the the zombie movie starring Hun Bin, but I have seen it now. Um, and so I'd never seen zombies in Joseon times before, and I just really enjoyed that aspect. I have to say too, uh, I didn't think the movie was as good as Kingdom. I think Kingdom is an Excellent, excellent zombies in jocund times. So if that's what you're after, I say watch the show. And eh, the movie was okay, but for me, not quite as good. Um, yeah. So the zombies themselves. The other thing I really liked about them. Uh, so basically, when the sun comes up in this show, the zombies. Hibernate, I guess you would call it. So basically, they all crawl into every tiny dark space that they can find. There's this amazing uh, when you first sort of introduced to a mass of zombies, and the sun comes up, they all kind of it's this clinic out in the middle of nowhere in the Joseon countryside and they all crawl into kind of the space between the floorboards and the ground the dirt and they all wrap around each other and tangle around each other and this is going to be a really weird comparison, but it kind of reminded me of like, you know, when you see like a little bunch of kittens and they're all like tangled around each other and lying on each other and underneath each other. And it's like that, but it's like a lot less cute and really, really, really horrifying. So the zombies tangle, their bodies tangle all around each other. And then they're basically just dead corpses. You know, they're not Breathing, they're not alive in any way, they're just completely empty. So, there's this amazing scene where these characters arrive at this clinic during the day, and there are just dead people like everywhere. It is so creepy, and they're just tangled together. So, when you're trying to pull out, you know, one body from under the floorboards, it just like unlodges a whole mass because they all go. Held around each other. It's so disturbing. Um, so these characters, then you know, they they remove these dead bodies and they don't know what's going on and they're absolutely horrified by like you know what is this massacre that has happened to all these patients in this clinic? It's so bleh. and all these bodies get taken to the local magistrate's office and they're all laid out, um, you know, in the courtyard as. You know, I've seen that happen in dramas before and little mats put over them or whatever. And everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. And then the sun goes down and everything gets dark. And the zombies like, oh, they come back to life. Uh, But they don't come back to life in any way that I've seen on TV before. They're like reanimated puppets being pulled by strings. They're like bone crunching and all contorting and it's so creepy I know I keep saying that but like it's it's great horror kind of stuff um so I just I think I was kind of amazed to be watching a zombie anything that has a new take and the other thing I really liked about the zombies is that they're really frightening um they feel like a really unstoppable force you know I've been watching The Walking Dead um well I used to watch it quite a lot and that's the kind of zombie variety that you know they shuffle along really slow and you can basically just walk around them like they're not that bad but the zombies in Kingdom are more like they are in what's that other movie 28 Days Later that's a good movie. Um, So like, you know, the rage thing where they are fast and they're scary and they are aggressive. So, uh, yeah, I found it just, oh, it really scared me, but in a good horror kind of way. I don't know didn't start with this but I guess I should probably give you a slight overview of the story. Um, there's a very very interesting kind of political intrigue plot that's running along at the same time as this utter crazy end of the world zombie stuff that's happening. Um, so the political plot is basically there is an old king and he is hidden away in his quarters in the palace and there are rumors that he's sick. Maybe he's dead. What's going on? No one's seen him. And this old king has a very young, very pretty wife, who's clearly not his first wife because his son is, looks older than his wife. Um, so this wife is heavily pregnant, and her and her father, her father who is a very high up minister of the court, are making sure that no one gets near this old king who's hidden away. And meanwhile, the crown prince. So the crown prince is played by Juji Ji Hoon. Uh, I've liked him for a while. I haven't seen him in loads and loads of stuff, but I remember seeing him in, um, I think it's called Gung, which was a quite an older drama, kind of like a big youth hit uh, where he played he played a crown prince actually now i'm thinking of it but it was set in modern times if the monarchy had still existed in korea it's quite a fun drama actually but it's also old so i think it might be a little bit slow by now interestingly enough today i had no idea about this but i just read that apparently song Ki was actually offered the lead role of the crown prince in this drama and he turned it down i don't know why maybe he was working on some other drama um yeah, I think he kind of should have done it. But actually, I really like Ju Ji Hoon in this. So he, I think he does a really good job, actually. And I'm not sure if he is older than Song Jun Ki, but he certainly looks a bit older. And I do feel like maybe that suits this role a bit more as well. Um, just to have that maybe a little bit more maturity in his face, I think, because, you know, Song Jun Ki has like an eternal baby face. And I am aware that he is a grown man, but... He doesn't sort of look it. (laughs) Um, So the crown prince is, it's quite interesting, actually. He is trying very, very hard to find out what's going on with his father, the king. And the queen and this high up minister, um, you know, they're fucking stopping him so that he can't get close. Uh, But there's all of these rumors going around accusing the crown prince of being involved in a plot to murder his father. Um, and I found this really interesting because when I was watching the drama, you're introduced to the crown prince as, you know, you like him. Here's your eyes into the story. This is the main character, and yeah, he's a bit, you know, he's a high-up noble, so he's a bit haughty and, you know, a bit rude or whatever, but I understand that, you know, he's grown up as a crown prince, um, but you, you like him, basically, so of course when you hear these rumours that he's plotted to a and he's attempted to kill his own father, you were straight away like, oh, you know, these people are, you know, they're calling him a traitor, but it's not true. And I really love that very, very early on in the drama, he admits straight out, no, it is true. I did try to kill my father. Um, I loved it because I think a character with nuance who is not just good and not just bad is always going to be Interesting, you know, someone who's multi layered and has a lot of different things going on. So, I don't think the crown prince is a bad man, as he pointed out, you know, his life is on the line. Um, The reason, obviously, that the queen and the high up minister are making sure no one gets near the king is that she is heavily pregnant, and if the king is going to die. She needs to make sure that she's had that baby before the king dies. And however, they're going to hope that that baby is a boy, which means that baby is a new prince. And what they would want to do is maneuver it. So the current crown prince gets ousted and the queen's new baby son will be called the crown prince. And that protects that high up minister's role in the court, because obviously, um, you know, if the king dies and the current crown prince, Juji Hoon, actually rises up to king, of course, the first thing he's going to do is get rid of any power the queen has. And the truth is, in those days, if there was a threat to your throne, I mean, that was a big problem. Um, it's awful, um, but you know, this is the times. I mean, it's, it's the same with any monarchy that existed hundreds of years ago in any country. The amount of, um, you know, intrigue and assassinations and plots to kill people, like, it's very, very scary stuff. But that's why so many dramas are set in courts, because it's literally just ready-made drama from history. Um, oh, I can't even remember which one drama. I think it was a Hmm. I can't remember which drama it was now, uh, but I remember watching one where, you know, the crown prince got rid of his little brother so that his little brother was obviously he was a child. He wasn't going to try and take the crown prince's position or a throne. But the problem is that all the opposing ministers who don't like the, whoever is currently in power rally around um, whoever is next in line for the throne whether they want the crown or not, it doesn't matter. Like whether they're a child or not, it doesn't matter. Um, there's always, you know, political edge to be gained by throwing your weight and your backing behind someone else. And this is why, you know, you hear so often about, you know, if there's multiple brothers in a Royal family, um, you know, in Joseon times, a lot of them wouldn't survive. Um, And a lot of them are killing each other and usurping. And that's, you know, that's obviously the way it is. But it does make for very, very fascinating drama. So I really liked that the crown prince, Juju Hoon, just immediately admits that he is just as involved in all this political scheming and plotting and, you know, attempted murder as all the other characters. I like that he wasn't played off to be, you know, completely naive or completely just good Good in a way that I guess, you know, in modern times we would think people should be. Back then, you know, him trying to kill his father, I suppose it's a way of protecting his own life. And he's thinking he is going to be killed if he doesn't quickly, quickly take the crown and become the king and solidify his power as soon as he can. He's very worried he's going to lose his position to the queen who's pregnant and the queen's father, this high up minister. And of course, that's exactly what happens. You know, he ends up on the run and still no one is allowed in to see the king, even though we as a viewer realize the king has turned into a monster so he is the first zombie that's uh, sort of introduced in this drama and i really liked that i like that he's he's not alive and he's not dead and they're keeping him you know chained up in the palace um, the queen is and the high up minister because they can't let this man die until that baby is born One of the other main characters in this drama is played by Bae Doona. So Bay Doona's character, uh, she kind of works in the medical field. Um, She works at this clinic out in the countryside. And I guess the physician guy who runs the clinic is uh, called away to the palace um, as a doctor to see the king to try and solve the problem and he brings with him i guess his you know little helper dude and of course the helper dude gets totally bit by the king who is totally a zombie so <laughs> that sucks uh the little helper guy dies uh all very sad and the the main doctor comes back to his little clinic out in the countryside Having been, you know, unable to solve the problem with the king, who has turned into a monster, and he brings back the body of this young man to the clinic. Uh, so the other sort of character of note for me in this drama is, it's not an actor that I know, um, the character is called Young Shin. This was my absolute favorite character in the drama. He is a very, very interesting and very complex and clearly is carrying around a lot of secrets. And I really want to know more. Uh, So basically, this clinic is filled with, you know, very unwell people. Some of them are injured and a lot of them are sick. And Beiduna is doing her best to help everybody. But one of the major problems is that everyone is fucking starving. I really should look up when this drama is actually set, Um, but I got the impression when I was watching it that it is maybe in the aftermath of some wars. Um, There is a lot of poverty and starvation throughout Joseon at this point. And the people in the clinic that they're trying to care for, you know, they don't have enough supplies and they're all starving. So Beiduna comes back to the clinic one day, And she finds young Shin, who is also a patient, but she finds him in the kitchen and he's made this huge, amazing, delicious stew. And of course, the delicious stew is filled with delicious meat. And when she fishes around in the delicious meat stew, she pulls out a fucking arm or maybe it was a fucking leg. I actually can't remember, but it was suitably creepy and gross. Um... Actually, maybe it was a finger. I can't remember. Um, But she is, you know, she's absolutely horrified. By this point, everyone in the clinic has had a bowl of this soup and um, except for young Shin. And he's the one who's made it and he has served it to everybody. I loved this as a sort of complicated character thing because, you know, my gut reaction to that is, Fuck no, that is disgusting, that's gross, it's morally wrong, it's unethical, that's cannibalism. You cannot, you know, freaking eat someone, obviously. Um, obviously, the person that he's eaten too is this, you know, this young boy that um, has died recently after visiting the king and someone that Beiduna likes and cares about. So, I mean, it is doubly horrific that this boy has ended up in this fucking soup. It's terrible. But what is fascinating about it is that this young man, Young Shin, you know, he's like, (sighs) he's not wrong. Like he's being practical. He's like, do you want all these people to starve to death? Because that's what's going to happen. You know, like, what does it matter what happens to this boy? He's dead. So even though I feel so squeaky about what Young Shin does and I have, you know, my own moral and ethical issues with it, at the same time... His goal is to feed people who are starving, Um, which is interesting. And I felt like throughout the whole drama, Young Shin, he's sort of that character who is practical and pragmatic and who is just going to do the hard shit that no one else wants to do. He's going to, you know, take the brunt and do all the stuff that no one would touch with a 10 foot pole. And you might not really want him to do it because it might be terrible, but you might also survive because he does do it. So I, I found that like such an interesting character. On top of that, we get this fascinating hint that this guy is, or he must be a tiger hunter. So basically, um, oh, so I should, I'm sorry, I should actually mention that <laughs> the soup with the dead boy in it uh, turns fucking everybody into a zombie. So it's really awful because even though like I can argue like, oh, you know, he was being pragmatic and he was trying to save everyone's life. What he really does is he kills everybody. Young Shin kills everybody. But what's interesting is that that's not why he did it. And he didn't mean to. Okay, so back to Young Shin's secrets. So during the drama, everyone's like running around and they're fighting zombies. And I have to say the action is very, very cool. And Young Shin particularly is able to fight, you know, amazingly well. He is so great at everything he does and the people that are near him survive because he is there. But of course the other characters take note, you know, who is this commoner peasant dude who can fight the way that he can? And at one point during the drama, he ends up with a rifle. So I'm not sure, but I think I think they're called matchlock rifles, which are the ones where you have to like, it's like a little flinty fire thing. So it's very, very, you know, old school kind of stuff. And one of the other um, characters in the drama sort of watches Young Shin in action with this um, rifle. And he assumes that he must be, you know, military, but a tiger hunter um, the drama doesn't really talk about it a lot, but I was like, what is that? What is a tiger? I mean, obviously I know what a tiger hunter is. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, but I was like, in the history of Korea, you know, what is a tiger hunter and why did all the other characters react in awe at the mention of this? So I still don't know much. There doesn't seem to be a huge amount on the net, but I have done a little bit of reading and it's very fascinating. Um, tiger hunters, uh, Sort of existed in ancient Korea, obviously, to hunt tigers, but it was a profession, and it's the kind of profession that you were born into. So, if your dad was a tiger hunter, then you're going to be a tiger hunter as well. And obviously, it was such an utterly dangerous job Um, basically they'd go into you know the mountains with this matchlock rifle which only shoots once and then you have to light the flint thing again so you would have to get into close proximity with an actual tiger and you would have one shot one bullet one shot to kill it and if you don't kill it you are dead So because, I guess, the job was so hard and so dangerous, um, tiger hunters were considered, you know, the most courageous, the bravest, um, and also the absolute best at um you know military kind of stuff and interestingly enough they were often part of the military too i kind of got the impression from what i was reading that um perhaps they were drafted in in times you know when they needed um you know border control and things like that in Josin, and they were considered sort of i guess you know a frontline crack team of the absolute best of the best soldiers And all through the country, um, a lot of the other people looked up to them as being, you know, these really elite soldiers, these really, really courageous, scary dudes who weren't afraid of anything. So I haven't really ever come across uh, this whole concept of tiger hunters, um, you know, these military men or tiger hunters in any K-dramas that I've watched before. And I'm kind of surprised now that I've learnt a little bit about it. I'm like, wow, that's a topic that's just ripe for exploring it's so fascinating um so I really I really liked you know the inclusion of this character in this drama and just this tiny little window into this part of um you know Korean history that I had never heard of before and had no idea about So yeah, I really, really loved Young Shin. I liked him because he was a very complicated character. Um, Also because his action scenes are very, very cool. Um, I really enjoy watching that kind of stuff that's choreographed so well. And he just throws himself around. He's, you know, really great to watch. Um, But then the whole concept of the tiger hunter and the mystery, it's quite clear that Young Shin was Present at battles, I think, against the Japanese, if I'm remembering correctly. So, although I'm not sure, I'm wondering if this drama was set, you know, loosely set maybe following the Imjin War or uh, when the Japanese uh, invaded Korea in the late 1500s, that was so perhaps that's around the time it's set. Um, And he's obviously been you know, very heavily involved in battles and in, you know, the military at that point. So I am really, really excited for season two. Um, You know, this drama is so short at only six episodes and I feel like it definitely scrapes on the surface of the character stuff. But because so much of the drama is focused on these incredibly, you know, these terrifying zombies and these amazing action set pieces that, you know, they're very lengthy and they're amazing to watch like edge of your seat stuff. But because of that, I do think we only scratch the surface of the characters. There isn't a lot of time to like delve really, really deep. Particularly I feel with Bayduna's character. Um, she is such a good actress, but she isn't really given a whole lot to do in this. She's clearly very smart and um, very useful, but you know, I don't know if other people listen to her that much or, you know, she just sort of has to follow everyone else around as she's trying to solve this problem of the zombie outbreak. And I would definitely really like to understand more about the characters next season. Um, In saying that, I don't want to, you know, give up all the exciting stuff either. I want all of it. But I definitely want to know more, particularly about Beiduna's character. Obviously, the crown prince, I want, I just, you know, want more from him as well. And particularly Young Shin. Uh, Young Shin feels a bit different. I feel like he was very purposely set up to leave you wanting more. They have a lot of hints at his history, but they don't give much away and I felt like that's more a story hook uh you know to make you want to keep watching while it did feel like the characterization of the crown prince juji hoon and also baiduna's character was a little bit more lacking in a way that I would like to see more development and I want to kind of peel back those layers and I'm not sure that that was an intentional thing but probably because of that shorter format So to finish this little discussion about the first season of Kingdom, um, I guess I just wanted to talk about the ending. One of the other characters that I'm very interested in and want to see more about is the young queen. So one of the big plot twists at the end of season one, on top of the fact that someone close to the crown prince is betraying him, uh, probably his right-hand man, whose name in the drama is Mu Young. But the queen, it turns out, is not pregnant. She is totally faking and that is very, very interesting. She also has a big sort of house out the back that's filled with pregnant ladies, including the prince's right-hand man's wife, if that makes sense. So I think she is waiting for one of these pregnant ladies to have a son and then she is going to do everything she can to instate that son as the new crown prince what's interesting to me and what i want to know is does the queen's father know that she's faking if he doesn't i feel like it means she's a bit more of a political player than maybe we suspect throughout that first season where you know she seems very much you know, I think a bit under her father's clutches and doing what he says. And I think it'll be really, really interesting. I must say, I would love it if the father doesn't know and the Queen actually has all her own different plots going on. Um, I'd really like to see her sort of um, expanded on and just I want to get to know her a bit more next season. So that would be really interesting. And I really did like that little plot twist. I thought that was quite fascinating. Um, The other kind of plot twist at the end, or, um, well, I guess it's a plot twist, uh, but basically we spend the whole drama thinking that the zombies hibernate hibernate during the day. So all the main characters have to do to be safe is wait for daylight, and then the zombies all just basically fall down on the ground, and you can, like, burn them or whatever, or, you know, run away really far. Uh, But the problem they find out at the very, very end of season one is, of course, that it's actually the heat of the sun that is making the zombies like go to sleep and lie down. And now that it's winter, uh, they they it's cold enough that they can just run around nonstop and basically try and fucking kill everybody all the time. Doesn't matter if it's light or dark. So that's pretty bad. And I actually have no idea how the characters are going to kind of get it get out of that one or manage to stop this plague or freaking do anything with zombies running around 24-7. So I am definitely very, very interested for season two. And that is it. That is my season one sort of discussion about the Korean drama Kingdom. Thank you so much for listening. So now it's time for my random thing of the week. Um, This time my random thing is not completely random. It's a little bit linked to my review of Kingdom. So I think you would remember that when I was talking about Young Shin's character and how to feed the people at the clinic, he resorted to a spot of cannibalism. So I don't anymore because I have run out of time, but I used to be learning Korean. Uh, as a language and I had a Korean language teacher who I would meet with every week and she told me a really interesting and very creepy little ghost story and I've tried searching for this ghost story online, I can never kind of find it so I'll do my best to remember how it went but basically uh, it's a little story that took place in Joseon times and I think it was after a war and the people were starving uh, and very, very poor. And there's this little family uh, with this mum and dad and these two little kids. And the parents are watching their children wasting away. They're starving to death, and it is just killing the parents. So eventually, they go down to the local graveyard where a body was buried that day in a gravesite and they dig it up. And they cut off the leg and they bring it home and they feed it to their kids because they think that's better than watching their kids die. But a creepy ghost follows them home. And that's the end of the story, actually. <laughs> I thought it was really interesting because when I watched this drama, um, Kingdom, you know, it really reminded me of this story that my Korean teacher told me um, quite a few years ago now. Um, And it's interesting that a folk tale or, you know, a ghost story like that, um, obviously, you know, these kind of stories don't come from nowhere. They link into occurrences that, you know, have happened in history. And... um, you know, it's not nice to think of things like that happening, but in this drama, there is a scene where, um, Beiduna's character is talking to young Shin, the tiger hunter, and he's saying, I can't remember, I think it was in the North. Um, and he's saying, you know, why do you think that all the people in the North are still alive? And he basically says it's because they've resorted to eating their dead. Um, And it's horrifying, you know, but in times of extreme, just, you know, extreme pressure and starvation and poverty, you know, I I don't know what it would be like that if you were faced with an absolutely atrocious choice like that. Um, And I guess that's why, you know, any ghost story that deals with a level of horrific reality is always going to be more creepy and more scary, Than you know, something that's just completely made up. So I hope you enjoyed my little pretty morbid random thing of the week. So for the next section of my show, I'm talking about something that I loved this week. So I thought I would talk about a book that I'm reading at the moment, which is kind of cool. So this is an English language book. It's an American book, but it's written by a Korean American author called Kat Cho. And the book is called Gumiho, Wicked Fox. And it's the first in Cat Cho's new series, which is a Gumiho series. So the book is actually, even though it's, you know, written in English and by an American, uh, the book is set in Seoul. It's set in a Korean high school. The two, all the characters are Korean and it's a modern day story. And it is a story about a young Gumiho girl So a nine-tailed fox from Legend and from, you know, a whole bunch of K-dramas. And she sort of gets embroiled in this life or death situation, I guess you could say, with this young guy from school. Uh, It's So I'm about halfway through at the moment and I'm really, really enjoying it. Uh, In a really good way, I can see that a lot of you know, little moments between the characters, um, you know, they're so familiar to me because they come from dramas. You know, I can tell that the author of this book, Gumiho Wicked Fox, is someone who absolutely loves K-dramas and has watched a lot. There is a scene where the main character, the Gumiho girl, um, is sitting outside her high school and these nasty girls are, you know, being nasty about her. And the, the boy, the love interest, um, the, the main male lead walks over and he puts his earphones on the girl and, you know, so she, she can't hear all the nasty comments. But then when the, the nasty girls are gone, you realize, um, you know, the Gumiho girl actually says, you know, why isn't there any music on? Uh, so, you know, he's trying to protect her by letting her pretend that she can't hear the horrible things people say. But I totally recognize this exact scene from the Korean drama Dream High, which is one of my absolute all time favorite dramas ever. And in actual fact, the very first Korean drama that I ever watched in my life. So it introduced me to all of them. Uh, So the scene in Dream High is where Susie's character Hemi is waiting at a bus stop and I'm pretty sure there's a whole bunch of like girls saying really nasty shit about her. And then Tekyon, who also stars in that drama, his character walks up and gives, you know, Hemi these earbuds so she can't hear all the nasty shit the girls are saying. And, you know, it's exactly the same as what happens in this Gumiho book, Uh, which I really, really loved. You know, it feels like. Um, you know, I just I don't mind seeing these scenes lifted from dramas that I love and put into this novel. It doesn't feel like a ripoff to me. It feels like a love letter to, you know, a form of media that I also adore. And it's so obvious that the author does as well. Um, Another scene that uh, is in the novel that I recognize from a million K-dramas, is that really familiar thing where, you know, a character who hasn't received a lot of um, parental affection is sort of visiting a friend and the friend's parent starts, you know, feeding them and lavishing love through food on on this, you know, neglected character. Um, And that tends to be like, you know, the parent, person sort of putting like a bit of extra meat or a bit of kimchi on their spoon and stuff. And, um, you know, the, the character who's been neglected starts really trying very hard not to cry while shoving huge globfuls of food in their face. Um, I'm pretty sure that exact scene happened in Dream High as well with tekyon's character later on and, you know, has also happened in a million dramas, like I'm pretty sure Kim Woo-bin's character in The, Air- the Hairs or The Heirs? The Inheritors, <laughs> however you want to say that drama, um, his character goes through that exact same thing with Park Shin-hae's mom, who you know, treats him nice and feeds him. And, you know, his dad's such an asshole that he starts crying while he's, you know, eating a load of food. So I really enjoyed seeing these familiar scenes pop up in this novel. And it really did feel like a love letter to something that I care about so much. And it's just refreshing to read a K-drama instead of watch one for once. It's just kind of different. So I think if you're interested in reading a K-drama, a modern, you know, fantasy twist sort of K-drama, then definitely uh, give Gumiho Wicked Fox a try, which is by Cat Cho, Cat with a K.